Welcome to the Living Parables Podcast, where we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the sanctifying work of God's Holy Word. I am Nate, your host. To all listeners tuning in, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you. Now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode. I am so grateful to be here with you all this week, and I pray that you are standing firm in the Lord and that your walk with the Lord is growing closer and closer as each day passes. And on that note, we have finally reached the conclusion of this have you consider my servant series? It has been a wonderful journey. And I know some of you that have been listening since the first uh, episode in this series, and you're probably wondering, well, I thought we were going to have Paul and then Jesus, those examples. And what I would thought I'd do today is to go through all of the disciples and go through their martyrdom and then finish with Paul. And after we get in with Paul, talk about Christ in Isaiah 53. So... That is the plan for today. So as we go throughout this studying, one thing I do want to talk about is we have the same faith as the apostles did. And I think that's noteworthy because a lot of times we hold these people in high regard. And as well, we should. But they're not super Christians. They didn't have a super faith that goes above ours. And they even mention that in in the epistles. So you have to understand that we have the exact same faith as they did. And why is that? Because the same God, the same Son, the same Holy Spirit that dwelt within them, dwells within us. Now, as we have really dove deep into the suffering of the children of God, we are told not to be surprised at the fire ordeals that comes upon us for our testing as something strange is happening to us. I don't understand what's going on here. We have to know that we are sharers in the sufferings of Christ. And we rejoice in those sufferings. So the reality is those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
But here's something that the world does not have. 1 Peter 3.14. We talked about this a few weeks ago. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Don't be troubled. Don't let it bother you. But here's what you need to do. Sanctify Christ Jesus as Lord in your hearts. And you need to be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. With gentleness and reverence. And today, as we start talking about the martyrdom of the disciples, let this sink in. Because you have to ask the question, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and it was all a hoax, as some people say, then why would these disciples die for a lie? And the quick answer is, you wouldn't die for a lie. Why would you die for a cover-up of, of something that didn't even happen? These men were faithful to their God. Not perfectly, just as we aren't. But man, they loved the Lord. And the Holy Spirit gave them the sweetest of grace until their death. And their death carried them over to be with their Lord once again. So we cannot look at death as something to be feared, but it's actually something we should rejoice in. The greatest sting of death today for us is leaving our loved ones or our loved ones leaving us. And trust me, I am not, I am not in any hurry for my family uh, to go. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that my family is, is going to be in heaven and I'll be there with him. Not by what we've done, but by his goodness, by his grace. So let's start with how the apostles or disciples, how they died. Let's start with Matthew, the beloved tax collector. He suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia. Killed by a sore wound. Mark died in Alexandria in Egypt after being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. What about John? Well, we talked about him before. What about John? Well, he did face martyrdom. That, that was going to happen. However, he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he miraculously survived. He was delivered from death. So John was then sentenced to the mines on the prison island of Patmos. And that's where he wrote, again, by God's will, he wrote the book of Revelation. 
The Apostle John was later freed and returned to serve as Bishop of Edessa in modern Turkey. He died as an old man in which he was the only apostle to die peacefully. Now, what about Peter? He was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross. According to church tradition, it was believed that he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way Jesus Christ had died. So he requested to be crucified upside down. What about James? So he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was thrown over 100 feet from the southeast pinnacle of the temple where he refused to die, deny the faith in Christ. When they discovered that he had survived the fall, his enemies beat James to death with a fuller's club. And ironically enough, that was the same pinnacle where Satan had taken Jesus during the temptation. James, the son of Zebedee, he was a fisherman by trade when Jesus called him to a lifetime of ministry. He was a strong leader of the church. James, unfortunately, was beheaded at Jerusalem. The Roman officer who guarded James watched amaze, in amazement as James defended the faith at his trial. Later, the officer walked beside James to, place, to his place of execution. Overcome by conviction, he declared his new faith to the judge and knelt beside James to accept beheading as a Christian. That's powerful. What about Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel? He was a missionary to Asia. He witnessed for our Lord in present-day Turkey. Bartholomew was martyred for his preaching in Armenia, where he was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew, he was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Patras, Greece. After being whipped severely by seven soldiers, they tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. Now, his followers reported that when he was led toward the cross, Andrew saluted in these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. He continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he died. About Thomas, old doubting Thomas. He was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips to establish a church in that subcontinent. What about Jude? Jude was killed with arrows when he refused to deny the faith in Christ. And Matthias, and we know who Matthias is, he was the apostle chosen to replace the traitor Judas Iscariot. He was stoned and then beheaded. And last but certainly not least, we come up to Paul. Now, I want to talk a little extensively on Paul, and then we're going to finish with uh, Isaiah 53 talking about Christ's suffering. But Paul's suffering can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we really get an in-depth look at the things that he suffered in verses 23 through 28. So it's actually a pretty a pretty easy way to look at it. And, it, and what I don't want us to do here 
is I don't want to hear this information and just let it become ho-hum. The, these are not just characters in a book. These are people. These are true believers in Christ. True people who have gained everything by losing everything. That people look at their death and think, oh my goodness, that's so terrible. And trust me, it is terrible. But it's very clear in Scripture that man is appointed once to die in the face of judgment. Death is inevitable. There's no way around it. There's no magic elixir to make your life last hundreds and hundreds of years. It's just not going to happen. No matter the technology that tries to come out, God's not going to allow that. And it would have been nice back in the Old Testament days where people lived, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. And that's just not the case anymore. But Paul's sufferings, we have to go back to the very beginning. Where we are first introduced to Paul when Stephen is preaching. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. And what's powerful about that is Paul at the time was a Pharisee. Remember, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews. He was so zealous for the law that he was so bent on doing, quote unquote, God's work, that he was going to eradicate this sect called the way more Christians, he's going to get rid of them all. And he was there at the stoning of Stephen. And what's so powerful about that is the very same faith that he was persecuting so severely, now he pretty much became one of the main leaders and wrote, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote, most of the New Testament, 13 letters. And that's very, very powerful. So God can take the worst of the worst and redeem him, restore him, and renew him. So never think of yourself as unworthy. Well, I'm just too bad. I'm just too this. Have you, have you killed Christians? Have you burnt down churches? Have you imprisoned little children for the sake of religion? Have you done all those things? I don't think so. So you're just fine. Now, going to Paul's sufferings. And I'm just going to go through these really, um, really, I mean, not super quick, but quick enough to where we can get the main idea. So verse 23, so he was in danger of death constantly. He was imprisoned multiple times, beaten without number. Verse 24 says, five times he received 39 lashes, which is equivalent to uh, 195 lashes over the course of those beatings. Three times he was beaten with rods. And what you need to understand is those Roman beatings were, were with flexible sticks tied together. That would not feel well. He was once stoned, 
Three times he was shipwrecked. A whole day and night he spent in the deep. So a shipwreck happened that was so bad, they spent the entire day floating on the wreckage, awaiting rescue. He was in constant danger from rivers, robbers, countrymen, Gentiles, the city, the wilderness, on the sea, false brethren. He'd suffer hard labor and hardship, false accusations, sleepless nights, hunger without food for days, thirst, exposure to, to the cold. And I would say more the more important thing that was more powerful that he suffered more than anything else was the internal deep concern for the churches. So how did he die? So what became of Paul? He was tortured and then beheaded by the evil Emperor Nero at Rome in 67 AD. So I say all these things to you to tell you this. We must understand that when we compare our battle scars It's it's a no-win situation for us. Now, there are people, I'm telling you, there are people right now around the world that are actually being martyred. Christianity is the most pronounced persecuted quote-unquote, religion out there. And that should not come as a surprise. Here in America, we are literally on easy street. Although I would say, as the days are drawing nearer and nearer, that it is becoming harder. And here's what we must know about suffering. I'm going to go back to the very first episode and we touched on it briefly and we actually touched on it in the second episode, but 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are about ready to go through what Christ suffered. And I know I'm not going to hit every single thing, but what I want you to see in Isaiah 53 is the subtitle is called The Suffering Servant. And this is about Christ. And what's amazing about the Jewish faith is Isaiah 53 is not allowed to be read. And you can't read it without knowing that this is talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
Now, let's look at verse 1 here. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root at a parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Now, these first three verses, let's look at verse 2 here. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. So, what Scripture is saying, he's not some kind of rare flower that has this beauty about him. A tender shoot is like a root that was coming out of the ground, something you would trip over. Christ's origin is compared to a dirty root. He was, he was insignificant to most. He was a nobody. John 1.46 says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's where he came from. It, he, he wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Trumpets weren't blaring when he arrived on this earth. I mean, the first people to witness the birth of Christ were shepherds. I mean, talk about the lowest of the low, but that's what God does. He doesn't take the self-righteous. He doesn't reveal himself to those who uh, believe that their righteousness supersedes that of old. They don't, he doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> reveal himself to the proud but to the lowly. But he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor his appearance that we should be attracted to him. He had no special physical quality. He didn't have perfectly long, flowing brown hair. He, he, did, he wasn't, I guess, according to Scripture, he wasn't a beautiful man. He wasn't a handsome man. He didn't look the part. Verse 3 says, He was despised. Someone you hide your face from and forsaken of men. He would be the opposite of what people would desire. Good looks, strong, fast, athletic, wealthy, nice hair, clothes, etc. But he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. And we, and we did not esteem him. That means we weren't mindful. We didn't value. We didn't value him. Jesus was truly a man of sorrows. How many times in Scripture, especially in the book of John, did he, I mean, he, he wept over Jerusalem. Why did he weep over Jer Jerusalem? Because they had turned their back on him. They didn't receive him as Messiah. Men love darkness. They had nothing to do with Christ. Yet this, quote-unquote, no-name, this nobody, this tender shoot that came out of the ground, was everything and is everything to us. 
Look at verses 4 and 5. Surely our griefs, which means our sicknesses, he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried. Our pain, our suffering. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And he was pierced through through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Now, a couple of things we need to talk about here that's, that's extremely important. Verses 4 and 5 talks about the substitutionary atonement work of Christ. That's what we need to understand right now. He was pierced through for our transgressions. By the way, when Isaiah was written, crucifixion didn't exist yet. He was pierced through. He was crushed for our iniquities. By the way, the chastening for our well-being, that, that word is that means to be punished, and that's a legal term. Oh, and here's what's interesting. How did, did Isaiah know that Christ was going to be punished legally? Well, what do you mean, Nate? Well, think about it. Jesus was arrested at night, and in the middle of the night, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, held an, an unlawful trial, convicted him unlawfully. Matter of fact, if you read John, uh, the later chapters, I don't know exactly where they are. But it, it talks about some of those Pharisees actually were saying, this is not right. This, this, this is not okay. But they did it anyway. And we know that Christ was silent, which we're going to get to here in a minute. We know that he, he went to Herod. He went in front of Pilate. And eventually, because... Pilate being the coward that he was, he said, I washed my hands of this. And he handed them over and said, go ahead and crucify him. So that was the legal term of, that was his punishment right there. But that punishment for our well-being, not our physical well-being, the spiritual well-being fell upon him. How much of a burden is that to carry? to be perfect, to fulfill every single prophecy in Scripture at the perfect right time, to deal with people that you came to save, wanting to kill you, wanting to stone you, wanting to drag you out in the streets, always accusing you falsely. But see, Jesus, yes, he was a man, but he was also God. And the love he has, the patience he has, is beyond that of our comprehension. And by his scourging, we are healed. That scourging, we know what scourging is. By those stripes, we're healed. How do they know he's going to be scourged? Because all scripture is God-breathed. It didn't come from man. Now listen to verse... Six, because we use this with our 
two-part shepherd sermon series. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. One of the absolute most heartbreaking verses in the Bible. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. I'm going to take you just briefly here because I've been using it in Bible studies, and it's so true. It's the origin of all false religion. Romans chapter 10, verse 3 says, For not knowing about the about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. We turn our own way. I have my own view on religion. I have my own view on righteousness. This is how I can attain it. It's Christ plus this. It's my works. And that is completely the exact opposite. Why? Because look at verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And the literal translation there, end of the law, or the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, it's not our righteousness that gets us into heaven that justifies us. It's Christ's righteousness. It's faith in him, and he imputes that righteousness onto us. He puts his righteousness into our account. We take our sin and put it into Christ's account. That's amazing. But we all turn our own way. We all go astray. But look at the end of verse 6. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's why he came. He was oppressed. Again, let's again talk about legal proceedings. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he did not open his mouth. How in the world did Isaiah know that the Messiah was not going to open his mouth and defend himself? You know why. Because all scripture is God-breathed. We just talked about that. There is no way, humanly possible, But with God, all things are possible. God knew. That should be very significant evidence for us. Listen to verse 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with the wicked. What does that mean? Well, Jesus died between two criminals, right? That was their death. I mean, no one survived crucifixion. So, guess what? Another prediction, another prophecy came true. His grave was assigned with wicked men, plural. Do you see that? Remember, he died between two criminals. Are the hairs on your arm standing up yet? Yeah, mine too. And he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Wait a minute. He was with a rich man. What are you talking about? Remember Joseph of Arimathea, one of his secret followers? 
He had a tomb that was not even used. That's what he's talking about. Come on now. Are you seeing this? Verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Wait a minute. Um, stop, Nate. Stop, stop, stop. Now, see, now you lost me. Now you lost me. The Lord was pleased to crush him. Really? I, I can't do this now. I can't do that. That's just too much. That's too much. Well, is this divine child abuse? What are we talking about here? I don't like, I don't like what this is saying. Now listen here first before you start panicking. We know in Scripture, in Ezekiel 33.11, God says He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Jesus obviously was not wicked. This is not divine child abuse. The pleasure wasn't in His suffering, but in His purpose. He had no pleasure in the agony of His Son, but what Christ had accomplished. He had accomplished something that no man on earth can do. He appeased the wrath of God through his death. The wages of sin is what? Death. Jesus had no penalty of sin to pay for. Therefore, his blood, his righteousness was enough to pay the penalty of sin once for all. Now, this guilt offering here in verse 10 that was the final of five Levitical propitiation offer, excuse me, offerings. And that was complete propitiation, divine satisfaction and reconciliation. Now look at the end of verse 10. This is very, very powerful. He will see his offspring. Wait, 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 stop. He will see his offspring? How? He's dead. Through his resurrection. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Here is something that will make you smile. Christ will personally see every one of his spiritual children gathered into his presence forever. This is why there is satisfaction in the anguish. Christ's love was so great for us that it superseded the pain and the suffering that he endured on the cross. He could literally, I mean, look, we've actually done an episode on the grim reality of the cross. I remember doing that episode and ugh, that was hard. That was hard. But, but Christ could have joy in his heart knowing what he was accomplishing because he had you in his mind and in his heart. He knew that what I'm suffering right now is going to bring my son or daughter, insert your name here, into my presence one day. So he had absolute joy in that suffering. That's Doesn't that move you? Isn't that powerful? And look, in, look at verse 11. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. 
by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many. Doesn't that sound like Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 5? And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. That doesn't mean he was made a sinner. That just means that he became a man, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So the joy comes for Christ. It came knowing what he was accomplishing and what he accomplished. He accomplished our forgiveness. He was our propitiation. He satisfied the wrath of God that we deserved. He lived the righteous life that I cannot live, that we cannot live. He died the death that we deserved so that we could have faith and belief in his name so that we can be justified before a just, righteous, holy God. And I would encourage you to pick up a book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs and read that. Because what, what the old Christians had suffered after Christ rose from the dead, after the great persecution of the church, and even shortly after that, the sufferings that they went through was tremendous. But the believer's joy is not taken away because of persecution. It actually enhances their joy. What we just read with the disciples, a lot of them were preaching to their tormentors. They would not deny the faith. Is that you and is that me? And what we are suffering right now pales in comparison to what the saints of old have suffered. But arm yourself with that mentality. Be bold for the Lord. Stand firm in the faith. So if you get fired for your job, count that as joy. But wait, I, how am I going to pay my bills? You don't think God's going to take care of you? God takes care of the birds. Aren't you more important than them? I think so. So as we wrap up the suffering of the children of God, the Have You Consider My Servant series, let me end, end with this exhortation. Do not ask, why am I going through what I'm going through? Ask, what? What are you showing me, Lord? But instead of having a, oh, woe is me attitude, a pity party, instead of saying, why me, Lord, maybe ask the question, why not me? Instead of asking God and begging God to take you and deliver you from the situation, ask God, Lord, give me the grace that is sufficient for me 
to endure this trial that I'm going through. And through this fiery ordeal, refine me as, as gold would be refined by fire and help me to become as gold in your eyes through this process. Thank you, Lord, for counting me worthy to suffer for the, your name's sake. See, when you change your attitude from the temporal to the eternal, when you stop looking at the world and you start looking at heaven, you start focused on things above, it changes everything. So the things that we are going through, the trials, the tribulations, and I'm not making light of anything that we go through. So don't get me wrong here. But let's end it the way we started. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's all going to be worth it. It's all going to be worth it. So, once again, I thank you for joining me on this extensive series. This is the longest series we've had. But this has been Waiting in the Wings. And I hope and pray that you have gone with me through this journey. And that it has helped your walk tremendously. Change your attitudes when it comes to suffering. Because it's not a matter if, it's when. And if you're suffering now for the sake of Christ, know that your suffering is, is actually a blessing. That you are not alone. That he is never going to leave you nor forsake you. And understand that everything you're doing for Christ's name on this earth has a ripple effect into eternity. The, most of the things we do on this earth is is for temporary purposes it's it's a it's a bright flash of light and then it's gone but everything we do for Christ will go on to eternity so don't waste your time on the earthly things focus on the things in God's word which will stand forever understand brothers and sisters that i know some of you are suffering very very hard but remember what I said before, your last breath on this earth, the last time you close your eyes to your first breath in heaven and the minute you open your eyes and you behold Christ in all of his glory, all of his magnificence, all his beauty, all his perfection, all his righteousness, all his holiness. All his goodness will be worth it. The years we have struggled and suffered on this earth will be totally worth it the first second we're in heaven. I promise you that. Keep standing firm. Keep fighting the good fight of the faith. It's all going to be worth it in the end. And I know, and I know that I will not probably meet any of you physically on this earth. But by the grace of God through this podcast, 
<laughs> I'll be looking for you in heaven. So with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. Remember, everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. And until next time, God bless you all.